One of the glorious aspects of the character of Almighty God is that he does things in abundance. Whilst the rituals and religions of the world make demands on people, want them to bring their sacrifices and their uh, vast sums of money, etc., the Lord simply showers his people with an abundance of blessings. Verse 8 of Ephesians 1 says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us, abounded toward us, in all wisdom and prudence. I've been looking at this chapter, and uh, we've been looking at some of the blessings uh, that Paul sets out here that are relevant to the people of God. Uh, and we've seen, firstly, that there is a fourfold description of God's blessings. We've seen, secondly, something of the Christian's inheritance. Uh, on Tuesday, we looked at the blessing of the Christian's acceptance with the beloved. And this morning, we were thinking about the blessing of our redemption. Uh, and this evening, we're going to look at this abundance that cannot be exhausted. The abundance that cannot be exhausted. And I'll draw your attention uh, to verse 8 and uh, just verse 9 also. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Get the context of those. We have to remember what we've already spoken about. We have to see what Paul was writing about. And this flows, doesn't it? Because it says, wherein, it follows on from what he's been saying. He's been talking about the Christian's election, talking about our relationship of being accepted in the beloved. He talks about the redemption in verse 7 that we were looking at this morning. According to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us. And uh, in other words, the abundance that God uh, has towards his people is rooted in his grace. He has sufficient grace, more than sufficient grace for us. And from that, everything abounds to us. We can say all of his saving work comes to us through the abundant sovereign grace. And in this verse, he particularly refers to two things, wisdom and prudence. We might think, well, that's a bit strange, but as we put it into context in a moment, we shall see what he is really saying to us there. Just two main headings this evening. The first, then, is this. The abundance is found as a part of the character of God threaded throughout Scripture. It's something about God that he always does things in abundance. Now, most families have a member somewhere who, if I put it politely, are less than generous. I recall one relation of mine complaining one winter because it was the second box of matches that she'd had to use. Um, needless to say, when the festive season came round, um, there was not a lot coming from that direction, as dear as she was. She, those of you who were here last week, she might have been the same one who told me that money was left in the will and I got nothing. <laughs> just, just to keep it in context... God is exactly the opposite, isn't he? He is generous in all that he does. Indeed, whatever God does for his people is done in abundance. The heart of our God is more generous than we can even imagine. And uh, we've got some examples. Second example of creation. The Lord did not create the bare necessities for Adam. He didn't see, well, there's a fruit tree, and that's how you do vegetables, and that's pretty much all you need at the moment. 
He didn't do that. He gave him a lot more than, than was necessary. He gave them a rich environment in which to live. He gave them types, didn't he? Uh, I always wonder about the children of Israel. You know, all them years they had to eat uh, manna. I know it's very good stuff, but it's a bit like having porridge every morning for your breakfast. You don't always want the same thing. But, but it was a blessing to them. That, that's what they got, and that's what God gave them. But, but he's given us a lot more. He's given us various types of food. He's given us, even if you're able to see them, the different colours. Uh, why isn't everything, I could say, black and white? They don't need to have colour, but God has enriched us in, in this abundance by giving colour. Uh, he's given us different tastes, hasn't he? And... Uh, these are things that, in one sense, were more than necessary. We've got the sun, we've got the moon, we've got the stars. We've got everything that's necessary. But beyond that, he's gone beyond that because one reason is that it's all for the glory of God. His own glory. The psalmist says, God created that which pleased him. And that which pleased him, he knew, was going to be more than sufficient for us. You know, God's abundance in creation gives evolutionists a problem because it's generally accepted in evolutionary circles that things evolve to meet a need or a changing need. And, uh, you know, they say, well, things adjust over a period. But when God created, he went beyond those necessary needs. He created things for our pleasure and our enjoyment that, that were not vital for our existence. And so we might have many things that we, we don't have to have them. How, how can they evolve within an evolutionary uh, a pattern? So you might say that it's with simple things like fruit and vegetables. Why do we need two or three types of different things? It's God's abundance. That's what he's given us. I mean, it might seem a silly example. It might enable you to remember the sermon a little bit. But why have you got two eyes and not one? Wouldn't one be just enough? I mean, two is much better. You can get everything in focus. And, and why have we got two ears? You know, the Lord knows that's exactly what we need. You don't evolve from one ear to two ears because that seems a little bit better. It's not a need. It's something that God has given us that we might function in a suitable way. And my friends, when you begin to think about that, that does not fit an evolutionary model. Another example of God's abundance in Scripture is what we've been singing about. It's his mercy. His mercy in pardoning sin. Verse I read at the beginning of our service from Isaiah 55. He says, He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. Let me read that verse and the previous one. It was Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So there's a, a great invitation. It's not putting up any barriers. Just says, come and seek. Come and call upon me. Then there comes a condition. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. In other words, there is repentance. And let him return unto the Lord. That is repentance, turning away from our sin to the Lord. And what happens? He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon uh, some of you might have in the Bible, it's in the margin, he will multiply to pardon. And uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. You know, man's idea of pardon is minimalistic, isn't it, really? We, we will give a pardon, but uh, only so far. 
I thought that man, you probably heard of him in, in the news, who, who was in prison for 17 years for something he didn't do. So they pardoned him. But he says, well, we want you to pay for your board while he was in prison. It's not much of a pardon. I see today they've actually rescinded that. Um, he hasn't got to pay it after all. But you see, there's always a minimum uh, pardon, isn't there? Um, you know, whether we have pardon that's granted in a personal level, it might be done grudgingly, or whether it's a big thing between nations. You know, a nation uh, has to uh, be at war with another and there is a, a, a peace of some kind at the end, but it doesn't always hold, does it? It's not based on the pardon that God gives. We read in the scripture that when he pardons our sin, it is as far as the east is from the west. It is a forgiveness that we mentioned this morning. It's a, a, a forgiveness that is found in his redemptive work by his precious blood. And nothing can undo that. And it is, a, as he says here, it is an abundant pardon. Peter takes it up in his first letter. He says, the Lord Jesus, according to his abundant mercy, it's the same word, according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's not just enough mercy, it's, it's not just a faint hope, but it's an abundant mercy, it's a lively hope. And why is that? Because he says in that verse, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can man forgive tomorrow's sins? I think not. I don't know how you're going to upset me tomorrow, so I can't forgive you for tomorrow, but the Lord does, and he has done that. What do we sing in the hymn? And we could have sung this one as well tonight, couldn't we? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And uh, that's a, a wonderful verse, isn't it? And it sums up something of the abundance of, of, of our God. Is he not abundant towards us in answered prayer? Paul writes of this further on in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 20, he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, there's that word again, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We sometimes quote that verse in a prayer meeting, don't we? That he is able to uh, answer our prayers exceedingly as if the word abundant isn't enough there, exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. And that's a really difficult one because if it's above what we can think, then we can't think what that might be, can we? Because it's above that. It's beyond our realm. It's, it's like we were talking uh, about the, uh, the spiritual blessings. They come from heaven. It's, it's from another realm. And when we read a verse like this and try and really think it through, we realise that we're kind of thinking on the edge of our, our capacity to think of, of the wonderful things that God has done and the wonder of who he is. The Lord doesn't answer our prayer grudgingly. You know, sometimes someone will come to us, probably children, and they'll say, Dad, can you do this? And you think, oh, here it comes again. And, you know, there may be a certain grudging in what you're doing. We come to our Heavenly Father, and he loves us to come, and he loves to give. He will be approached, of course, in the correct manner. We can't expect to abuse his word and abuse prayer, etc., and then come and ask. We come in the correct manner, but his answers are not limited to our requests. They, 
They exceed the capacity of our words and of our minds. And that's a wonderful thing. How often have we had a particular situation and we've brought it before the Lord and we thought, Lord, this can happen and that can happen. Lord, give us an answer. And the Lord gives us something that we'd never thought of, but it's far better than what we thought of. We could look in so many places and see the abundance of God throughout Scripture. Just one more I thought of, and that is when he was healing the sick. Do you remember the lame man that's particularly uh, mentioned in the New Testament? Uh, you know, we've got folks with broken legs and things, and you need some physio on that. Uh, and because you can't let, use your legs or your arms properly, it's been broken. Uh, and in this case, this man, as far as we know, ha- had not walked on his legs ever. That the muscle uh, deteriorates, doesn't it? Probably didn't have much muscle there at all. And so you need physio, you need to walk carefully, you need to walk slowly, you need to build up that muscle. What does it say? When the Lord healed him, it said he had been lame from his youth, it says he ran and he leapt. He ran and he leapt. It was a complete restoration. It was an abundance. He didn't just make him better and say, now after a few weeks you'll get stronger. It was an instantaneous, uh, ample blessing and healing. The abundant work was done. So wherever you look in scripture, you'll find part of the character of God is his abundance. So let's move on to the second point. What has particularly here the Lord caused to abound towards us? And we can say, well, he's abounded in, in all things towards us, and we've just mentioned some, but he particularly picks out these two. Back to the verse, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And on first sight, that might seem odd. And so we need someone to take a step back and say, well, what's he actually saying here? Well, let's look at those two. Wisdom. This is a wisdom that the Lord gives to us and is a result of God's grace. Um, I think it was, uh, was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who says, he has told us about forgiveness. We've looked at that in the previous verse. And now God's grace toward us has not stopped at the matter of forgiveness. But he has so abounded towards us that they have brought us to something further, namely wisdom. This is not a general wisdom. This is something specific. This, can, this is not a wisdom that comes through character. Some people seem to have a stamp about them. That they're a, a wise person. We can also perhaps gain wisdom or a certain amount of wisdom through learning. We, we, we mug up on a certain subject and we gain some wisdom there. Or perhaps mainly through experience. We've been doing something for many years and so we gain a certain wisdom. But this is something more than that. This is vitally necessary, he says, if we're to know, and he goes on to verse 9 then, because don't forget these verses were not written in verse form. Let me read the the bit together. He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. He gives us a, a wisdom to, to see what he is about, a wisdom that not everybody seems to be aware of. And, and when he talks there about the mystery of his will, he doesn't mean something that's totally secret, a mysterious secret or something misty that cannot be described. But, but rather it's something that when we're given this wisdom, and it's something that he says he abounds to the believers, that we can have eyes then to see it. And later in this book, Paul, Paul writes about the mystery hid in ages past. 
Now, we know what that is. Namely, and he tells us, it is that the Gentiles should be included in the saving work of Christ. Now, when we read back through the Old Testament, we can see some Gentiles there that were blessed under the hand of God. We, we can see things that have now been revealed in the New Testament that were, in fact, embedded in the Old. But, but it wasn't known. It was something that was under wraps, as it were. But here, the mystery is much wider, if you like. Verse 10 tells us what that is. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, well, for now we'll say in the future, that he would gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In other words, the Lord's going to gather all things together. It'll be totally under his reign, under his control. And it'll be a wonderful thing. And the mystery of this great truth is that this is the the purpose of God. This is one of those verses that sums up everything if we were to analyse it carefully. I often quote a verse that Jesus mentioned in John where he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. And, And that's one of those verses that sums up the gospel that almost sums up the whole of scripture Christ came and he's going to glory and he's making it possible that we're going to be there with him and that was the object of the whole of this that before the foundation of the world God chose a people that would be with him one day in glory and all of this is the outworking of that the key to it of course was the cross of Calvary Uh, and here he's saying I've abounded to you in wisdom to know this the wisdom that you need to see that God is doing something, to have a, at least some understanding of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Or as Paul writes in the next chapter, you who were dead in trespass and sins, he hath quickened. Or when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says there that, that our eyes, are, our understanding might be opened. This is a wisdom beyond that which this earth affords. It is a wisdom that we do not come with us at birth this is something that God abounds towards us as he says in our verse and there is evidence of this to a certain extent that when you read a verse like verse 10 that there's going to come a time when all things will be uh, all things evil will be done away with it'll be a time when all things are gathered in Christ that, that, that warms our hearts, that we say, that's good, that's something we aspire to, that's something I thank God for, I thank him for dying on the cross for me, that I'm going to be a part of that. If our hearts are warmed by that, then we can say, yes, he has abounded to us in all wisdom to give us an understanding of what he is about. See, the word mystery, when he says there that we might know the mystery of his will, it appears a number of times in the New Testament. It's an important word. Jesus said, I, unto you it is therefore given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. It's given unto the people of God. It is revealed unto us abundantly that we might know the revelations of God. It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. In other words, not everybody will have an understanding of that. And he was talking particularly there, I think, of the the Sadducees and the Pharisees. 1 Corinthians 2, we read there, he says, But we speak the wisdom, there's that word again, the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God hath ordained before the world 
unto our glory. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That before the foundation of the world, God ordained that we should have wisdom to have an understanding of what he is about, even our salvation. So it's not a secret in that sense. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a mystery that has now been revealed, and he says we are to to make it known. Praise God then for his abundant mercy and uh, to his uh, abundance in giving us the uh, wisdom to know the mystery of his will. But there is more. The other word he uses there in abundance is that (coughs) he's given us an abundance in prudence. That's a strange word, isn't it? We don't use that word very often today. If I remember correctly, it was a favourite word of Gordon Brown when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, He used it to try and infer that he was being very prudent and very careful with the nation's finances. And I think most people think of using that word in terms of thrift or being careful. But it's a much wider word here. Uh, The Lord is not uh, giving us an abundant thrift. Um, It's similar to the word wisdom in its original meaning in the Greek. Um, And in fact, the word has been translated wisdom in at least one other place in Scripture. But, But Paul is not repeating himself. He doesn't say he's abounded to us in all wisdom and can I find another word for wisdom. The word here particularly means to have an affection set on spiritual insight or spiritual understanding. That, and it's that which embraces our affections as well as our understanding. And there is a difference, isn't there? I can understand something and I can preach something, but if it has a, an effect on my affections then it affects the way in which I preach. You might say, well, that man actually knows what he's talking about. He feels what he's preaching. I think Spurgeon was talking to his students, and he says, when you preach on heaven, let your eyes light up. Be alert. Show that it's a glorious place to go to, and you want to go there. So when you preach on hell, your usual face will probably do. Uh, So, you know, there's a preaching on showing what we feel, And, and that's the word we've got here. God abounds to us in all wisdom to know what God is about, but also to give us a spiritual understanding that affects our hearts. That which is necessary to determine, for example, what is true and what is pure, to know what belongs to the light and what belongs to the darkness, what is real and what is a, a sham. So then, If the mystery of his will, that is the culmination of all things in Christ, that's the big picture brought about through the salvation of sinners. It's only really known through the abundant wisdom and grace bestowed upon us. Then Jesus Christ says, and and the, the effect is that if anything is different to that, then that is the devices of man. And we see so much of that today in religion, in science, in modern thinking. It has no bearing on the truth. We might be poorly educated. I'm not saying that individuals here are poorly educated, but we might be poorly educated. We might not have a great science degree and, and, and all the things that are out there today. But if you're a Christian, he abounds to us in having a spiritual insight and wisdom to know something that those highly educated and unsafe people don't know. And that is that Christ has come into the world to save sinners. He's touched our hearts. He's given us wisdom. He's given us his grace and he's saved our souls. And we're going home to glory. That's the result of God's abundant revelation to us. 
Yes, the humble poor may believe, the uneducated may believe, the social outcasts might believe. And the wonderful thing is that uh, you think of some of the people you pray for, and you think one man in particular, and you think he's, he's got problems uh, in, in all manner of ways. He, he knows something of the gospel, probably forgotten much of it. But if he was to come in his meeting tonight, and if the Lord was to speak to him, uh, and he was to come to repentance and faith, that man would be given an understanding that's far beyond anything he has at the moment, and far beyond people who are far more respectable than he is. All because of God's abundance to us in all those areas. And we could talk about his abundance in love. We could talk about his abundance in in every single way. And we'd see that that is so in him. So there's two things we've looked at tonight. Abundance is part of the character of God. In creation, in our pardon, in answered prayer, and in many other ways. And then secondly, we see here that the Lord abounds to us in wisdom and prudence, that we are given an insight and an understanding into the mystery of the will of God, that he will gather all things in Christ. Now, a little bit of application. You know, if you know the abundance of God's mercy and grace in the salvation of your soul, then should we not rejoice in him? Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and seeks that their rejoicing may be abundant. Uses the same word, abundant. And it's a good thing to stop sometimes and ask ourselves, do I rejoice in him in an abundance? Or is it sometimes a struggle to rejoice? Because the pressures of this world get us down. The pressures sometimes even of church life can get us down. The pressures uh, of an affliction can get us down. There are so many things, and yet this should not prevent us from having an abundant rejoicing in him. We are the most privileged people on earth and uh, we need to live, don't we, showing evidence of God's abundance towards us. Uh, In that sense, we are to be a generous people ourselves. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly, abundantly. You know, another thing we can learn from this is that You know, as we witness before people, remember their condition. Scripture says, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Not many wise, that is not wise in this world's terms, not many noble are called. Our task is to live by example and to speak of Christ, to lay the gospel before people in the way that we live and speak. And, and to speak to the Lord and say, Lord, that's, that's all I can do. Lord, you must come and ignite it. You must come and bless it by your spirit. And there may be to any downcast or tempted or tried, can we not see that the Lord is abundantly able to succour us, seeing he entered this way before us? He knows exactly how we feel. We're to look on and upward towards our Saviour, who abounds towards us, Uh, And one day we shall see him in glory. What does it say in 2 Peter 1? The scripture says there, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. How do we do that? Well, that's another sermon, but we give diligence to make our calling and election sure in the way that we live and the way that we behave, the way that we, we read the scriptures. But he goes on, you see, because he says, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly 
abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. It's a wonderful thing, you know, we're here for a season, as one hymn says, and then above. We won't just scrape in. Sometimes we see the picture of say, well, I believe it's a bit like a ship. The sails will be battered and we'll just about limp into harbour. Well, our sails may be battered, but the scripture does not say we will limp into harbour. We will not limp into heaven. We will not kind of just get to the gate and, and crawl under the gate and just manage to get in. The scripture says we will have an abundant entrance. And that's a wonderful thing. You will not, so one says, you will not leave to steal quietly to heaven in Christ's company without a conflict and a cross. There will be conflicts. There is a cross to carry on our way. But when you get to glory, you will have an abundant entrance. One line of a hymn says, sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then finally, this evening, to any that know not the Saviour. You know, the Lord has abundantly provided all things needful in Jesus Christ. Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't do it grudgingly. It is his delight to save people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Jesus does. And he calls those who see their need to repent and believe this gospel. That Jesus indeed did come into the world, not just to save sinners in a general way, but came to save you. That sinner came to save me. Well, may the Lord so help you to seek him. And may we know something of his abundance in his grace and mercy towards us. For his name's sake. Amen.